You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole, coming at you here from the continent. We don't even know what the continent is called. We just call it the continent. Uh, But the mead here is delicious, and with me, as she is almost every single week, the one and only... Are you covering elf ears? Did I never notice that, Christy? And purple eyes. Mm. Oh, that's what that... mm. Yes, stop staring Mm -hmm. at me like that. You're making me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am Yennefer of Vingerberg. I have many fine powers. Yes, yes you do. Get me some apple juice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to be talking about the uh, the Witcher show that just uh, dropped not too long ago on Netflix. We've had a chance to finally sit down and watch it, and uh, so we are going to discuss that. Before we do that, though, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited you're here. Uh, wherever you're getting your podcast, just make sure you're subscribed. That way you'll get the podcast as soon as it drops. Um, and if you're on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please give us a star rating and review. Uh, it has been quite a long time since October of last year since we've had a new review. So help people find the show if you like it by giving us a star rating review. It only takes a couple minutes. And we'll read that out on the show as well. So very excited. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We've got the uh, listeners only discussion group, the Babel Conference on Facebook that you can go to. Uh, type Babel into the search field there and uh, you can become part of the group and talk with fans uh, and listeners from all over the world about everything that's going on with your TrekFM. You can also send us an email over at trek.fm in the contact section, just choosing 602 Club, and that will come to Christy and I. And uh, last but not least, really want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millette, Daniel Noah. They've been supporting the show here for a very long time, making sure that the 602 Club comes to you each and every week, uh, as well as the entire network. Uh, They're associates through Patreon, and they make sure that not only the 602 Club, but every show that you listen to here on the network comes to you uh, each and every week. So uh, it is pretty expensive to put on this network, and we could really use your help, especially here in the new year. It's been tighter than normal. So go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of the team. Um, every little bit helps. Um, but again, uh, there's some great contribution levels you can give at, and that's at patreon.com slash trekfm. Okay, so I'm really interested in this because The Witcher is a series that has a bunch of different iterations. It's got books as well as video games that people can be introduced to. And just because they've done one, they may not have done another. So I'm really wondering, for you, coming into this show, had you read any of the books? Have you played any of the video games at all? No, nothing. It's amazing that I didn't hear about it until it was announced last fall. I don't know how. Because apparently one of my best friends that I'm still friends with since high school, she and her husband have played the games for years, and then we're really excited to see this come out, and never told me about it. I just feel like I'm sitting over here going, why did nobody tell me about this? It's right up my alley. Fantasy genre? Are you kidding me? I love all of this stuff. But nobody ever told me, and I didn't find it. I don't know how. So that is really crazy to me because, you know, I know how much you and Michael, your husband, really love, um, you know, you, you love D&D, you love this kind of stuff. and Lord yeah, of the Rings. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I just, it, it surprises me because I know how, how much you guys really enjoy this stuff. So, um, really cool 
uh, that the the show came out. So now you can find it, um, and uh, you know now you could go back and and maybe you know read some of the books or you know play the video yeah. games at this point. So because I feel like it just seems like something that uh, you and and your husband <laughs> would really enjoy. So, um, but uh, so I I'd known about the series. Working at a bookstore, I worked at Barnes & Noble for a few years um, back when I was in grad school and after that. Mm. And so I was aware of this series, but it wasn't one that I ever really picked up. Uh, And part of that is because a lot of fantasy books, they kind of have cheesy covers. And so, you know, you kind of look at it and you're like, uh, whatever. Um, And so I did go ahead and... um, as I knew the show was coming out, I thought that I would give one of the books a chance, and I tend to be a continuity person, so I like things to, you know, be read in in sequence. And so I started with it's not really the first book in the sense of when it was released, but it's the first book in chrono- chronology, The Last Wish, which is actually just a collection of kind of like short stories that introduce you to Geralt. And it's not to last story in that that you meet Yennefer, where the in fact the, the 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 meeting that they have in in this series, which is you know um, at the house where she's trying to trap the djinn, um, that's mm-hmm. when they meet for the first time, and, and the book as well, and so just really interesting, um, and I'm I would actually be interested in going on to read more books in the series now that I've watched the show. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, because I enjoyed the show, I guess I'm giving that away. Um, (laughs) I'm, I'm actually interested now to, to go and and read the books because, you know, the books are always going to be a little bit different, um, because there can be more to them. And, and so I always love getting a chance to kind of know both. So, but it's bringing in new fans, which is a huge thing. Especially since it apparently started in the early 90s when I'm going to give some history really quick because I did obviously go back and look at all this behind the scenes stuff of where it came from since I didn't know before. But it came from a Polish author who, like you said, Matt, started with some short stories and then it developed into books. And originally it was only in Polish until about 10 years after it was released. I couldn't find any confirmed translation into complete English until 2007. And then that was when things like games started coming out and movies and uh, it really exploded from there. And apparently The Witcher 3, the game, is regarded as one of the best video games of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Uh, and it's it's a funny story because the, the first time that I was introduced to Witcher was actually at my friend Nick Anastasio's house. Um, it oh, was really? the first time I went to go visit him, and his son Alex was loading up that game for the first time when it had just come out. Um, a years ago, you know, it's years back now, I think 2015, 2016, or something like that. Anyway, so he's loading it up, and he's because he had just bought it. And so I watched the <laughs> beginning of, of the, the game with him, um, as he was starting to play it. So it's it's funny because that was my first introduction. And so I only really knew it as a video game and then learning that it's a book series. Reading one of those was really interesting. So yeah, just really cool. Um, so I, like you said, it's one of those things where it's, it's neat when this kind of stuff happens because it just brings in new people, brings uh, a light to something other people might not, you know, be interested in or... Um, have any idea existed like for you you know so that's always really cool one of the most interesting things to me and it's something that uh, i was aware of because i kind of saw this conversation happening on twitter this show uh came out i believe it was last month um and so it kind of released at the beginning of, of january and so i hadn't really gotten a chance to to see it until you know getting ready for us talking about it and in that um, I saw the conversations on Twitter about, you know, how the show is structured. So mm-hmm. I already came in knowing how it was structured. And so I wondered for you uh, with this idea of timelines and that we're in three different timelines that we follow. Like, were you aware of that going in? And then, you know, how did that end up working for you as a storytelling structure for this entire eight episode season? You know, 
it I did not know ahead of time about how the story was going to be structured with the timeline. However, although at the beginning, I think when you come in, it would confuse anyone because you're trying to follow what's happening and it keeps changing on you. It does end up making sense in the end because they're coming together to a point where obviously they have to eventually make sense together. So although I didn't know beforehand, it did end up making sense to me. I think that it does benefit you to have more than one watch through because this was my third time watching through the entire series. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, because you just keep catching things that you didn't notice the first time, whether it's a timeline issue or even an aside that a character says that's referencing something else. Like, did you catch when Siri says to Clip or Clop when they're in the field, what kind of a crazy person talks to a horse? Yeah, (laughs) that was great. And then you're going, oh, like when Geralt did. Yep. (laughs) So it's just things like that that I I think really make the whole weaving timelines interesting. And I I like that style because then you always catch something new when you watch it again. Yeah, I mean, to me, going in knowing that, um, I thought the thing that it really helped do was it helped explain this world, you know, because there's so much going on in this world there it's a it's a really big world that that he's created this that the author created and so with that i felt like each of the time periods helped us kind of understand a little bit more about the world but it also gave us an idea of kind of the progression of it and 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 you know because you know we have Yennefer and the and the way back past as i was ta- i was calling it um and then mm-hmm. you have Geralt in the past so not quite as far back as is when we start with Yennefer. And then you have Siri and what we would call the present. And so each one of those time periods is is different than another. Especially, you know, the the very beginning when we meet Yennefer, it's it's a very different time on the continent. And mm-hmm. so you get the opportunity to really see things progress to the point where you get to the present story where we'll totally pick up in, in season two. And so we you get that opportunity to really understand the the kind of some of the political machinations that are going on, the the political structures, which are pretty complex. You know, this is some it, it has some Game of Thrones similarities and that the type of complexity with uh, you know, the the different parts of the continent and you know what's right, happening. Right, like the Nilfgaard and Sintra. Mm-hmm. And, yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and and then the idea of like there just being this huge convergence that had happened, that had changed the world, you know, and, and a lot of the world had been, been completely different after that. And the reason why you have the mages, you know, doing what they're doing. So, like, I just thought that that, to me, was a, a really smart way to, to allow the audience to be able to experience as much of the history of this world as possible conveniently that each episode kind of follows these three storylines until we kind of converge at the very end where they're now all together. Yeah. And and I mean, if you tell it in purely a linear order, I think it can become a little boring because we all are used to stories being told like, well, in the beginning, so-and-so was born and then their life happened. And then we got to this point. And it's like, this is a much more interesting way of getting you to the present than just doing that. And then I like, too, that this structure can tell it from different perspectives, not just the three main storylines, but it can tell you, like, in the beginning, when you see Cirilla playing that game on the ground, later, they show you that Geralt Mm -hmm. snuck around the corner at the same time. And so then you're seeing the same scene, but just from a different point of view. I love that they're insinuating all of these things are going on simultaneously that you didn't realize were happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I think just that was one of the things that, that really struck me was, you know, when you would get to that point where you would replay a scene, like you're saying, but from a different perspective, and you mm-hmm. realize how all of this connects. And again... 
it does such a great job then of connecting the entire story. But also you think about this, like if you're telling the story of Yennefer all the way back in the past, you know, you're not going to get to the story with Siri in one season. Right. So by doing right, it, this it would take way, too long. Yeah, exactly. It would take a, an entire season just to tell, you know, a part of what happened to her. So this way they're able to give you the most important things for each of these characters to kind of give us an idea of who they are, because they are going to th- be our three main characters, the three main story arcs and everything else is kind of happening um, through their perspective, you know, and I, I, that's just to me a, a real genius of of kind of doing that and and you know the creator of the show said specifically that you know dunkirk from nolan was really a a, an inspiration for them for how to be able to have all of these storylines working together um but not have to wait to spend time with yennefer Geralt, and siri all in the same episode so to me uh you know i thought it worked really really well I absolutely agree. And, uh, you know, where I've seen them do this in other movies aside from Dunkirk, I haven't seen Dunkirk, but I've seen this kind of storytelling before. I've always liked it. You know, it's interesting to me, too, because the the timelines really help kind of um, make you understand the role of the mages in and on the continent which is a really important piece of the whole that's happening as they're it's weird they they kind of feel like a darker version of the Jedi order to me where right <laughs> yeah they're trying to help bring order uh and stability to the continent but they also are petty and selfish and they kind of all have their own ambitions as well which hampers that job and so I thought that that was kind of a really interesting way to to take that idea of, you know, there are these people who are meant to be advisors to kings and to countries to help them find the better path. And what happens when they use their own ambition to, to really turn a country like what happens with Frangella and Nilfgaard? You know, that that's a huge part of that. But again, if you don't have the full backstory with Yennefer and everything there, none of that really makes sense. So I just thought that that mm-hmm. was really smart for them to do. And they even keep calling back to it. You know, the first time they bring it up is when all of the council of mages that are older are meeting about who should go where from that year's yep. group of students. And I didn't catch it at first that the whole issue was that Yennefer was had a father who was half elf. And so what the council was trying to do, some of the council wanted to prevent war between Sintra and Nilfgaard by sending Yennefer to Nilfgaard. The other half wanted to cause it by sending her to Sintra. <laughs> right. And so finally they ended up voting and deciding to send her to Nilfgaard and thinking, well, she's very strong-willed. She'll get them under control and then war won't happen. And then Yennefer herself throws the plan off and decides to go back to where she's originally from, which is part of Sintra. So it's a mess. Right. Yeah, and and I thought, I mean, again, that's that's a part where that whole storyline just plays out so well and it creates some really interesting themes that we'll kind of dive into later but mm-hmm. absolutely to me them doing this this timeline structure really worked um now I, I think i read going forward that the timeline structure won't be like that because they're all caught up now and mm-hmm. the rest of the story is about Jennifer Geralt and Siri kind of coming together as this group to combat all the things that are happening, which is the fact that Nilfgaard is trying to take over the continent. Um, So I think that'll be fascinating. Um, So we've got, you know, a few characters that I thought about, because there's a lot of side characters, so I tried to narrow it down so we're not here all night. Um, So we're going to talk about (laughs) um, the three main characters and then a couple of important friends that we meet along the way. And so... Obviously, the whole show is built around the fact that Henry Cavill was going to be Geralt of Rivia. 
Um, and so uh, I will cede the floor to you because I, I, I know that you've told me uh, you had something really important to uh, to share about this character. Hot damn. Is that that what it was? <laughs> I think I think it was something along the I I don't remember. It was a little more eloquent, um, okay, and maybe a little more R rated behind the scenes. So. I said I was drooling for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, aren't we all? Come on, first of all, oh man, no, I I'm right there with you. I mean, he, he looks he's incredible. Like a, He's like a dark Legolas. That's what I kept telling my husband. Because he's got the same hair. He's just like taller and wearing darker clothing. He looks more broody. But um, he, uh, yeah, it's fascinating seeing him, first of all, as an actor, go from being Superman, who's like the ultimate pretty boy with the, you know, short hair and no facial hair kind of thing, to now being this gruff, usually disgustingly dirty character with this long hair, and it's white. It's just a completely different thing for him to step into. And so it was fascinating for me seeing somebody that I only knew as this other kind of actor to then play this kind of role. So I I have mm-hmm. to say, completely aside from his looks or anything like that, he did make a complete 180 for me in his acting style. Like now, I believe that he could do any role he wanted to. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I'm right there with you. I've, I have loved Henry Cavill ever since, you know, he was, uh, I, I originally saw him in the Tudors um, show. Ah, okay. And um, then, of course, you know, him being Superman, I love him as Superman. I think he was fantastic there. Uh, he was in. The Man from Uncle, which he's so good in that, which proved to me he could also be James Bond. But here, yeah, I mean, to see him play a character that's just so gruff and kind of could care less and has an F-all attitude, you know, that's what he has on the outside. But I thought the thing that was most interesting is to watch him progress through the series and that that's not really who he is there is this mm-hmm. other side of him and i love when you got that that first part with uh uh the sylvan that he is gonna let go you know and then yeah he's captured by the elves um but that just really lets you know that this guy there's something else going on inside and it's not necessarily the, what he portrays on the outside we got that first uh we also got that first bit in blaviken too because you see him respond to the fact that there's this younger girl asking for his help. And that kind of seems to prick his his conscience there of, of the needing help. And so um, I think, you know, again, that's just something that's so fascinating to me. This is this character has this external like. I don't care about anybody kind of thing, but that's that's really that's not who the character is. So. Yeah, I, I think that you absolutely hit the nail on the head and that I something that really stuck with me that described Geralt as well was when he and Yaskir are talking while Yaskir's making him take a bath. And he says, yeah, 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 you never get involved, except you always do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Geralt says, I, I don't get involved in the matters of men. I'm here to provide a service and get rid of monsters. And that's all I'm going to do. Except then he does always, for some reason, have that moral compass that pulls him to doing the right thing. And, you know, with Renfrey, it was exhibit A right there that he didn't want to get involved at all, but he found himself still picking a side and he he didn't technically, but he did unintentionally choose a side because he ended up killing Renfrey. And so it's just this thing that keeps happening with him where he didn't intend to, but he ends up picking such and such side and choosing the law of surprise by accident and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, I think that I, I always love characters like that where, you know, they they want they, the the thing they want most is to not have anything to do with other people or, or care or whatever. And, you know, uh, his his whole goal is is to pretty much try and stay away from humanity um, mm-hmm. to kill monsters, 
to earn enough money to make a living and, you know, find a pretty girl every once in a while. And that's about it. You know, that that's that's his goal in life. And I think it's really interesting to see him um, not be able to do that. And I think what it does is it lets you know that there's something about this character that's there's good in this character. Like there's there's a conscience he can't kill. I think uh, to me, a character who has a conscience they can't kill is always fascinating. Yeah. And and like he says with um, Yennefer, he says before the scene in the house happens with the djinn, he tells Yaskir, she saved my life. I can't let her die. That's just how it is for him. He says, if this happens, then this is the only right thing to do. And I have to do it. I'm obligated yep. to go this route. Well, and I, I appreciate him being a in in many ways he has a sense of of true honor which you know nobody else really seems to have in this world um there are very few people that do um and it's i mean we'll just say it's a it's a long time coming in the sense that he's fighting against it actively throughout the entire series but, you know, by the time you get to that last episode and you realize that, no, he had gone to Sentra to get Siri to protect her, um, you realize that, yeah, he does care. Like, he's doing the right thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, the of course, the, the queen makes a completely different choice and, uh, of course, you know, invites the uh, bane of destiny. <laughs> um, and, well, yeah. It center is destroyed and we're left with the, the fallout of all of that. So yeah, he's great. Henry Cavill is really good. Um, and the costumer of Henry Cavill chef's kiss. Yeah. I, I thought that that was really nice because the costume obviously has some, some things about it. You can, you could see in the, the, um, the video game but uh, at the same time what i really saw in that is that there's there's like some classic like knight look but there's also kind of a samurai look so which was mm-hmm. kind of a neat thing to choose because then you kind of feel um the idea of him as the ronin you know and which is i think really what his character kind of represents at at, at this stage so again all of that was just really cool and i do have to throw in aside from all of that coolness that I love when an actor is campaigning to get a role because they love the character so much. And Henry did that to get this role. And I said, okay, well, if I didn't like you before, now I'm even more on board with this. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, if, if a, if a actor is really invested, you can tell. And I think Mm -hmm. obviously too the fight scenes that he does, you can, absolutely tell that henry cavill is 100 percent invested in what he's doing from oh, yeah. the workouts that he does to look like that from the work that he puts in so that he can do the choreography for those scenes um i don't know if you saw the uh behind the scenes shot by shot analysis by him of his fight in the street of um, blaviken yes yeah yeah which was so cool to have them talk about but I think it's so fascinating because um, you you just see how much work that he's put in, which is really neat. Like I just really oh, appreciate yeah. you know an actor putting that much out. So it's great. Anyway, I'm sorry. We can move on. No, no, no. I mean, I think it was <laughs> obviously you know he's the main draw on the show. Like he's the main character, and, mm-hmm. and not only that, but he's the thing I think that brought many many people's interest into this because uh, he'd played superman and this is his next big role uh and so you know if he doesn't do the job that he needs to do then yeah it's it's not going to be a good show yeah absolutely um and the other thing uh sorry (laughs) i'll get i'll get off my soapbox in a second he'll get off henry cavill in a minute yep uh, I also noticed uh, when I was looking through the videos of things like, like you said, the shot by shot analyzation of how they did the fight and things like that. I saw uh, that people have made memes of Geralt of Rivia 
played by Henry Cavill, where it's uh, a quote from him, but it's the main two things he says are, hmm, and then yes. <laughs> the F word. Another two words, yes, yes. In fact, there is an entire <laughs> YouTube video of like eight minutes of just his responses um, of two words. So, And he said apparently the mumbles were improvised. Yeah, in fact, you know, I, I remember, I, I read that... There are places where they kind of gave him a little bit less dialogue and just allowed him to use facial expressions to say what he needed to say, which is fascinating um, because they just felt like Henry was able to do what they wanted to have him do without him necessarily always having something to say um, just by giving a look, which I think, again, works for that character so what did you think of uh, Freya Allen playing Cirilla or Siri as this crowned princess of Sintra? I thought she was fascinating. I think they really did a good job of finding the right look for the actress to be this very interesting looking creature that you could foresee being the special one in some way, just because her hair is such this bright blonde. And then she has these bright eyes and really fair skin. Like she's just very catching just by the way she looks. And then they dress her in the costumes that they do that really show that off even more with a bright blue. And I think she's a really good actress for being so young. I mean, she really honestly, made me believe that she was this super powerful girl, but didn't know it, you know, that it was a a dormant power. And then when it had these moments of being unleashed, that she was unaware until it was over. I just thought she was really, really great. Yeah, I thought, you know, she does a really good job, I think, in everything she needs to as to be somebody who goes from kind of a very naive young girl to being somebody who kind of goes through hell having her you know to to leave the castle to be on the run to almost die many times um you know to trying to figure out who to trust and who not to trust you know she ends up in in that really interesting wooded area with with the nymphs which is a, a very a strange kind of like side quest almost for her. But then of course she leaves that and she, you know, ends up um, uh, being controlled by some, uh, what I don't know what they call it. I cannot remember what they call it, but you know, the character who's taken on the attributes of the mage. Um, the, I just uh, called him a shapeshifter. Yeah. In my head. Yeah. Um, there was a name that they gave him, which I thought was really smart, but um I can't remember what it was. Anyway, you you can email me or write me or whatever. Um, but I just thought, like, again, she's the character who just, she's, she goes from being somebody who, like you said, is is very naive in, in who she is of her, her power, but also mm-hmm. just kind of who she is and how important she is um, and why she is because nobody's really ever told her. Um, and I think her story is going to be the one that gets even more interesting as we move into, uh, you know, the next season. Um, Mm -hmm. Much of her story I felt like was important to kind of bring us along with the history of why things are falling apart at this time, more so than truly like getting into the root of who she is as a character. Um, But I think that was on purpose. So, I agree with you. I think that at this moment, it was more about showing how she fits into everything else. And then now with the new season, we're going to explore deeper into her discovering her own power and her learning why she and Geralt are tied together. Because she still doesn't, like you're saying, Matt, know much about why all of this is happening. She just knows that she's now caught in the middle of it and that she keeps being told that Geralt's her destiny, but she doesn't know why. And I thought that that was something that was really fascinating um, because of the the way that these characters are connected. And obviously she doesn't know because nobody's told her the story, you know, of the mm-hmm. law of surprise. 
of why they're connected. And so I think that it's going to be fascinating for her to be able to learn some of these things in that second season because there's just so much that she does not know. So I'm I'm excited. Um, so uh, what did you think of our Yennefer uh, Vendeberg? Blew me away. And, and I don't, I hope that I don't sound like I'm just repeating myself, but I really did feel like she and Henry Cavill were the standout stars, even if they weren't supposed to be the main characters. They, they're they really incredible actors. She, first of all, portrays this girl who comes from living in a pig pen, even though they're her biological mother and stepfather. Um to developing into this person who you can see has been through all of this pain and you can understand why she got there, but also that it's still no, no excuse for being someone who purely desires power more than anything else in life. And finally learning that lesson and learning what really matters and that she really would have liked to have the choice to be a mother herself and trying to get that back. Like I just really admired Anya's acting skills with putting, putting all of that on screen for me. Yeah. You know, that was something that was pretty fascinating to me because, you know, she's a character who, who knows what she gives up, but she wants it back. And right. so she's she's a character who is trying to have her cake and eat it too. Um and <laughs> we we know in life how well that that works. It doesn't usually work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that's really interesting to watch with her. You know, she she's an utterly fascinating character because she is somebody like you were saying, you know, who's just been kind of abused her whole life, looked down on her whole life, used her whole life in that she's somebody who, and I, I hate to say this, but I feel like she's looking for somebody to see her for who she is and love her, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that, that she doesn't ever think will happen. You know, again, the one time she kind of thought that she was in love with somebody, again, they just used her, you know? Um, And so I thought that that was really interesting. And it's what's interesting is the, the juxtaposition between her and Geralt, who... You know, because he is a witcher, they seem to have much of the emotion of humanity kind of taken out of them. And right. they're not necessarily very good at love. You know, so the idea for him is that he would love to be in love. He would love to love, but he, he it's like he can't because of like what he's been made into. Um, and, and like in many ways, she's that same type of character. It's not literally been taken away from her, but mentally and emotionally, the ability to do those things has been taken away from her. And in lots of ways, I think it's interesting to kind of see her, both of them, overcome this massive weakness that they both have. So it's just really interesting to me. And then to even take that a step further, because we're on the same page here, the whole discussion of the two of them talking about possibly having children, not necessarily together, but just that she really wanted a child and Geralt is lecturing her, telling her Mm -hmm. why a child is not suited to their kind of living. Right. And then, and then admits that he has a child of surprise and she goes, Oh, so you're going to lecture me about how I can't be a mother, but then you're actually a father. Shouldn't you not be a father? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I, no, I do. I think that's, that is really interesting and she's so good in the role you know she plays every single part of the role and and again she's somebody throughout the series who kind of goes through an arc of being a person who is ultimately living for themselves at the beginning you know she's getting her powers and and finding what her powers are and what she can do Mm -hmm. all the way to the moment where you know she's being the selfless one, you know, giving her life to try and save people she doesn't even know. So I I think it's really fascinating. And I have to throw in too, because honorable mention a for her acting skills and B for how uncomfortable it probably made all of us. The episode where she has the 
male mage make her body no longer crippled. Her acting skills in that were so good that the entire time, every time I've seen that episode, I'm cringing <laughs> because yeah. it looks really painful. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I just thought that she was really good in the role and I really liked her. Um, and so I'm, um, I'm really interested. There are a couple of friends that the, the main characters of Geralt and, and Yennefer have or frenemies, you know, you might want to call them. But um, what did you think of the bard who kind of befriends Geralt and, and continues to pursue him as a friend, even though Geralt's not the most like receptive as the idea of having friends? It's funny because I at the beginning... Yaskier is kind of just annoying. You know, he's this guy who's just trying to make a buck off of Geralt by following him around and being his storyteller. But then he really ends up seeing, I felt, the good in Geralt. And that's why he wants to stick around and why he considers them friends, even if Geralt doesn't always. Then in the scene where he gets affected by the djinn and Geralt has to save him, Yaskier feels like that really cements the fact that Geralt does care for him and that they are best friends. And so I think it's really sweet because you keep seeing these rare moments between the two of them where it's like, okay, you do care about me at least a little bit, at least enough to save my life. So that's something. Or uh, I love when um, I'm going to refer to the bath scene again when Yaskier is making him take a bath before he becomes his bodyguard in the court. And he says, uh, oh, we're not friends because you just let everyone rub chamomile all over your lovely bottom. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I thought that he, he, you know, again, he starts off as, like you said, a slightly annoying character. But I, I thought what he did is he helped start to kind of bring the humanity out of Geralt. And the fact that he just kind of sticks with him for the most part, even when he's like told to go away, he ends up coming back and, mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, that's what friends do. And I, 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 I found him just an enjoyable character. And of course his songs are super fun. I mean, who, if you're watching the show, you definitely are getting the song toss a coin to your Witcher stuck in mm -hmm. your head because it, it, and that's one of the things too, is like, legitimately has good music that they're singing it's fun it's vibrant it like feels real too so it's it's really fun um and i thought he was uh a great character honestly like i really enjoyed him as a character and the actor i think did a great job of making him seem annoying and then become endearing and having that whole joke about him sleeping with everybody's wife and that's why he needs Geralt around to be his yeah. bodyguard <laughs> that was really funny um and, and again that's one of those moments where Geralt steps up and he helps him out right and then gets himself in more trouble exactly he does but <laughs> um i what I really liked too um, was Talicia and her relationship with Yennefer and the complexity of that, you know, um, and it seemed to kind of mirror in many ways the difficulty, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just how I was reading it, the way two really powerful women can sometimes have a hard time connecting with each other. Because yeah, they feel like they're supposed to be at odds. Um, and we see that play out in our world where, unfortunately, women feel like they have to, to fight each other instead of actually work together. And what was fascinating to was to watch them kind of grow in this relationship all the way to that last episode where they're truly working together as a powerful team with the rest of those mages. I thought that was a really interesting thing. And I loved this actress. I thought she did such a phenomenal job in the role. Um, and, and you know, she's a, she's kind of a morally gray character, too, because there's some things that she does that you're like, hmm, you know, the, the way that they, you know, turn certain um, apprentices just into eels to feed the power of, you know, their, their commune and everything is like, okay, that's... Or telling your students, sometimes the best thing a flower can do for us is die. Yeah, that's super <laughs> creepy. Like, I okay. Mean, yeah. 
Yeah, I think you definitely said it correctly that they're, they become at first two people who are both struggling to be the alpha, where Yennefer is finding out that she has these capabilities and that can she can stand on her own. She doesn't need anyone. And she's finally confident, but that she still has this teacher who's trying to let her know, but that doesn't mean you know everything. I think that to say I always had good intentions with Yennefer, but Yennefer also couldn't tell if she could trust her because she's seeing these things happen, like to say a turning the other girls into eels. <laughs> so it it's a double-edged sword. It, she's trying to be a good teacher, but then she's also doing things that are not necessarily right. Um, but yeah, I like that they do end up finally coming to an understanding and realizing that they at least had a common goal that they don't want Nilfgaard to just take over everyone and wipe everyone out. And again, I thought... The actress is she's just able to do everything that they they need her to do to to adequately portray all of that, mm-hmm. which to me is is just really exciting. Um, and and that's what you need from all of these type of characters. And in, in these smaller roles, you need them to be able to really bring alive their part of the story. And I thought she did a great job, you know. And and it was interesting to see her. You know, she's this character who's also holding on to her power again, too. Um, and, and she, that, cause that's all she has, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just I really appreciated that. And it, that brings to mind something that was fascinating about the series um, is that this is a story about a lot of people fighting destiny and, and the idea of destiny even existing in some ways, you know, and, and there's there's a lot of talk about that, about this idea of, of, you know, whether there's some kind of, you know, higher power, or some kind of destiny behind everything. And I just thought it was really fascinating because as we watch the story, it's so clear that there is a destiny involved with bringing these certain characters together. And you feel like specifically with Henry Cavill Siri and Yennefer are you feel with Geralt Siri and Yennefer you know bringing them together it almost feels like this whole thing has been working together to bring this group together and I think it that's something that I just thought was really interesting like how you know uh, the idea of destiny we don't always like it we don't like the idea that, that we're not in total control but you know they're they're clearly being brought together for a higher purpose. So yeah, I really loved that idea. That first of all, they pose the question: Is destiny even real? When Queen Calanthe and Geralt are talking in front of everyone, and Geralt basically says that he doesn't believe that destiny is real, but that he knows the difference between right and wrong, and something promised should always be honored. So it's kind of like he's saying he believes in destiny a little bit, but I get what it, where he was going. And then they really develop into saying that they do believe in destiny, but that maybe there's not just one way to get there. And that, you know, Geralt is able to claim the law of surprise but it doesn't necessarily come true right away. It's not the way that it was planned to be because Calanthe keeps throwing things off. And I like that they then have Mausek, their mage there in Sintra, come in and say to Geralt, the whole reason that everything was going awry to begin with, with Calanthe's daughter and her husband-to-be and everything, was because they kept trying to fight destiny. And so he's saying, Geralt, you're doing the same thing. You're going to cause chaos again because you're not accepting your destiny. Yeah. And that's the thing that I thought was really interesting because, you know, we we specifically get characters disregarding destiny. And we clearly see in this show how that goes. Right. They're saying, do not do that. Yeah. So I love <laughs> that. I mean, I kind of love this idea of, of people 
you know, kind of spitting in the face of destiny. But then when they do that, everything goes to pot and we get what we get. And so it's just really fascinating. So yeah. I, I thought that that was really interesting. That One of the things, too, we kind of talked a little bit about earlier, but I, I thought it kind of deserved its own section because there's this whole flow in the story between selfless and selfish. And again, you kind of see Geralt and Yennefer play both of these parts. And for most of the story, you see Yennefer being the one who's completely self selfish. Um, yeah. Who's doing everything for her own power, for her own glory, for her own good. And, you know, again, even back when we meet uh, Geralt for the first time, even though he doesn't want to be this person, he tends to be somebody who can't help himself but be kind of selfless and try to help those in need. So I thought right. it was really fascinating that you you see this play out back and forth as the season moves forward. And I think it's just so interesting because, you know, that's such a huge part of, like, the Star Wars saga of these of the idea of living the selfless life or the selfish life. And what we can clearly see, I think, even in this first season, is that Yennefer never gets what she wants, you know, and and part of that is, you know, her sacrificing her ability to bear children for what she thinks she wants and then realizing that's it's not all that was cracked up to be, mm -hmm. you know, that that maybe the best legacy isn't like following these sycophantic, you know, um, rich people around. Maybe the best legacy is actually like being able to give birth to new life. So I just thought it was really fascinating to watch these characters move through this story and struggle with these ideas because there are those parts of the story where Geralt too is struggling with the idea of, of like the selfless act or the selfish act. And I really appreciate characters seeing the repercussions of their actions. And it was nice to see both of the characters by the end of the show, they're very much more on the selfless side than they are the selfish side and just was really fascinating to me. Yeah, it, I'm 100% with you, especially when it comes to Yennefer. You see how she starts out, rightfully so, I mean, coming from this place of constantly being afraid and angry to finally being confident in herself and realizing her power and things like that. But then it goes too far. I think that the scene with the djinn is a perfect exhibit of her saying, I want everything. And Geralt says, can't you see what it's doing to you? And she doesn't because all she cares about is ultimate power. It's funny. It's reminding me of Jafar from Aladdin. <laughs> Absolute power. But yeah, it, she lost something she can never get back, her ability to have children, because she cared so much about being more powerful than anyone else, and then realized what she had lost. And I really love especially that scene, uh, although the episode didn't really play in as much to the rest of the season, when they're talking to the old man on the cliff, and he says... Yennefer, you'll never find what you're seeking. And Geralt, although you didn't want to lose Yennefer, you will. And I just felt like they're stabbing you in the heart in that scene because it's everything you as the viewer are wanting to happen. <laughs> and they're saying, nope, that's not happening. But you understand why. Yeah, I think I think that's an interesting thing, too. And, and part of that you know, this idea of like trying to make things happen for yourself in the wrong ways is interesting. You know, uh, like mm -hmm. with Yennefer giving up everything for magic um, and thinking that that's going to solve all her problems and it doesn't. With Geralt not wanting to lose Yennefer and, and kind of using magic as a way to keep that from happening. And again, you're kind of taking away uh, her her choice in that uh, obviously that that's not going to go well and and it doesn't because that's mm -hmm. not what's going to bring him Jennifer in the end. So I I just think 
again, it's just really interesting to watch this struggle of how to become one's best self and at the same time not lose oneself by making a deal with the devil, basically. Uh, And so it's just really interesting, and I just love those fascinating little pieces of of you know uh, the storyline and and it makes me interested to continue on because these characters still have so much room to grow and i think that's really cool so and there was something too that i wanted to ask if you gathered from the season as well the sort of the hope out of all of those things to me was that it's maybe a moral to the story that there it's not all about biological family that it's about found family becoming better family than the people you were originally related to. Because we didn't even talk about Geralt and his mother and how in the very last episode, they're finally explaining how he became a witcher Mm -hmm. was basically his mom abandoning him. Yeah. It's pretty awful. Yeah. Oh, it hurts because he was a kid. I mean, gosh, he was probably like seven years old and didn't understand why she was leaving and what his life was going to be anymore and why he was becoming this guy. Um, I think that that was really interesting, having that explanation at the very end and then seeing how Geralt's life is playing out after that, because now he is end up having ending up having found family with Siri, And then Yennefer being tied to Geralt, it's sort of like she's becoming a mother through having Siri around possibly in the future. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right in, in the sense of us fighting for things that we want instead of seeing the opportunities that are actually around us um, to make those things happen. Mm-hmm. but in a different way. And so I think a lot of these characters are going to be seeing that happen for themselves, which is going to be really interesting um, in the second season. And so um, we talked about how the music plays a huge part in this, the score and the songs. And so what did you end up thinking of the the score and the songs here? I'm going to surprise everybody and tell you, I felt like there is not enough information about the inner workings of how this whole score happened out there. I need more information because everything that I found, I'm really excited about everything that I'm hearing throughout the whole season. Music wise, I'm excited about and I want more of it. And there's not enough. (laughs) And it's funny because I usually for me, I just don't notice that as much as other things in a show. But with this show, I felt like it really enhances everything so much. It's really beautiful and doesn't always stand out as much as like toss a corn to your witcher but especially in scenes where i'm trying to remember which one it was um oh when they're first showing Geralt toward the end seeing queen calanthe laying dead on the ground they have that same sort of riff that they play to amp up the excitement in the scene do you kind of know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It. I'm not going to imitate it, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And they actually pulled in this Russian composer, Sonia Belisova, I hope I'm not butchering it, who worked on Amazon series The Romanoffs, and she's known for being a, an award-winning pianist. And she's the person who's putting this all together and then bringing in all of these other musicians to collaborate with her. It just blew my mind. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, I heartily agree with you. I, I think the one of the things that this the show really did was that it embraced um, its musical sound and the score, and then it embraced the fact that it was going to use song through Yasker, um, mm-hmm. which was great. Uh, and so putting all those things together, I think that they created something that's just really unique and different, you know, and they, and they weren't afraid to be different, which was fantastic. So I really appreciate that. And um, 
I have enjoyed listening to the score. It's a lot of fun. And so I'm excited um, to be able to get to that, you know, second season because I, I, I feel like, you know, they just gave, a, they, they really leave you on that cliffhanger of, you know, of the fact that of Siri asking who's Yennefer and us, our question of whether, you know, Yennefer's alive and everything. I just, the whole thing, just, I'm, I was on the edge of my seat till the end there. And now I just want to know what's going to happen. And so I guess the question becomes for, for you, um, what, what would you rate this then? Are you going out of 10 or out of five? Man, I gosh, we could go, I guess, any, anyway. So I uh, either we, we'll, do, we'll go with whatever you want to go with. I'm going to go with that. Uh, I, I would say it's for me, it's four and a half out of five glasses of disgusting ale from that dusty city that her old boyfriend lives in because it really has all of these amazing elements that put together a good story for me it, from the structure of weaving all the timelines together to bringing in actors that really just took it to the next level. I think that this show, first of all, it just completely took me off guard because I obviously, like I said, I didn't know anything about it until I knew that the Netflix show was coming out and then it held up. I mean, it was everything I expected and more. And you can keep going back and finding things that you didn't catch the first time. I think that really shows how good of a show it is as well. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I can't wait for season two. I give it a four and a half out of five. I think I'm I'm in the same place pretty much um, as you. I think I would give it four out of five. Um, I, I really enjoyed the show. Again, to me... I, I think it was really interesting to 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 have the different time periods to be in. I really appreciated that that part of the storytelling. I thought it was done really well. I was liking the characters. The fact that the characters, you know, have room enough to grow and, and, and are in some ways there's there's some ambiguity about who they are and, and who they want to be and everything. So it, it gives you places to move, but you know, they're likable enough so that you want to root for them too. Like all of that's really important. And so, yeah, four out of five for me, I, I just, I really, I'm, and, and not only that, but the ending, you know, the ending left me in a place where now I want to continue to the next season. I think the thing that this season did is it set up um, all of these elements and now we're bringing all those elements together by the end. And I just can't wait to see how it continues to play out now. Um, and so, yeah, I'm super excited for that. And so, um, Christy, uh, you know, we have this thing that we do recommendations. Uh, and so I'm wondering what you might want to recommend to everybody this week. Um, I honestly, because I found a blast from the past picture on my Instagram, I'm going to go with this one and I'm just going to put it out there. So, this comes with a little story to it, but basically when my husband and I first started dating, something that we bonded over was things we enjoyed watching and something I didn't know until we got to this point was when he said he's a big Kevin Smith fan and he actually is the one that introduced me to all of Kevin Smith's movies. Um, and so that was the first time I had ever seen Clerks or Clerks 2 or anything like that it was not until 2010. And so I am going to recommend everyone see Clerks because it is very irreverent. I mean, be prepared to be offended. But it's interesting that he decided to go with black and white for a movie that was definitely made long after we got color television. Yeah. Um, and it kind of is the thing that starts the whole Kevin Smith trend of movies and gives you clerks two which is even better than clerks one but you have to see the first one first i really like that he also is able to put in some serious notes about getting older and then mix it in with really hilarious things because jason muse just being himself is so funny and weird it i love it 
I, I'm a big Jason Mewes fan. And the fact that he now as a person has completely become sober and has a daughter and a wife, like he's doing really well, that made it even better. So I highly recommend seeing Clerks. I uh, I'm also gonna gonna go with an older movie, and that is Inglorious Bastards. I just yes. saw that, and so um, I'm for gonna the recommend first time? that. Yeah, first time. So, <gasps> um, yeah, it's something that I had uh, I'd never uh, seen before, but I really enjoyed it. Had a good time with it. Um, thought it was good. And Christoph Waltz is yeah, brilliant. I mean, he's brilliant in it. So. Um, yeah, I just it, it was it was a really interesting movie, and there's just nothing better than seeing Nazis get you know torn to shreds. So, um, and then and, a and the, little bitty bit of Brad Pitt doing an Italian accent. Yes, Brad Pitt trying to do an <laughs> Italian accent, even though he's playing somebody from the Deep South, was hysterical. So perfect, 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 perfect. So very excited. Uh, it was it was good. Um, watch it with a couple of, of guy friends. It was we we'd had guy night with that. So uh, yeah, it was a good choice and it was a good movie. So, uh, but Christy, if anybody wants to uh, check out uh, what you've got going on elsewhere, where can people find you? You can find me in the Babel Conference, talking about things here and there. Uh, and then I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And I'm on a couple of other shows. When I'm not here with Matt doing 602 Club, I do a show with my friend Teresa Delgado called Sabers and Spells on the Skynet Network. And uh, we talk about pretty much anything under the sun when it comes to Star Wars, Harry Potter, Stranger Things, whatever. So our next episode, we're actually going to focus on the spells part of our name and talk about how we got into Harry Potter. So stay tuned for that. And I do a show once a month on the Fanthatracks network called Planet Leia with five other women from around the world talking about Star Wars. And then lastly, I do a segment, which I'm really behind on, but I'm going to work on fixing, is uh, called Fashion in Five on the Star Wars Report show, uh, where once a month I do a five-minute review of men's and women's Star Wars fashion. And uh, you can find me um, all over the place. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, Vero under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Uh, you can also find me here on the network when Chris Jones and I get a chance. We do the Orb, talking about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. You can also find me on the Nerd Party Network, doing two shows. One is called Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills, talking about Star Wars each and every week. Then I'm doing Owl Post with Dre Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, doing cinema stories with my friend Courtney as we talk about films through the lens of faith. But thank you so much for joining us. And toss a coin to your witcher, you hear? 